But let us pray. Gracious God, from the written word to the spoken word, may it become the living word by the power of your spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I need a bigger wallet. It's not because I've got loads of money, but rather because of the increasing number of loyalty cards that I seem to be collecting. My wallet gets thicker and thicker. And I collect them because I don't want to miss out on any of the benefits. 10% tone hasn't been my nickname for nothing. And the objective of loyalty cards is to keep you faithful to a particular company, promising a share in the benefits of that company. Well, it doesn't seem to work for me. I just collect them all just in case. And you don't really get that much in return. But in an age where people seem reluctant to commit to anything or demonstrate loyalty, uh, commercial organizations are using this tool to try and maintain their market share. In our Old Testament lesson, despite the stubbornness and the unfaithfulness of God's children in the past, the prophet reminds them that those who remain loyal and remain in a right relationship with God will be victorious in the end. They will share God's victory rather than reap the consequences of rebellion, which is for others. So Isaiah 26 is actually a song of celebration. It's a song for the faithful to sing to their maker. For God delivers his children from oppressive enemies and enables them to be restored in their secure homeland. And so we get verse 2. Open the gates that the righteous nature, nation may enter. The nation that keeps faith. The wonderful promise is for the nation that keeps faith, that its people will sing again as they enter or re-enter Judah, that the gates will be opened to a rebuilt and fortified Jerusalem. And so in this passage, we're reminded that faithfulness and loyalty and commitment is actually or are actually faithful qualities for the people of God. So the first thing I want to encourage us to think about tonight is whether or not we do pray for one another that we may be faithful, loyal, and committed people. Because it goes against the trend of the age to be faithful, loyal, or committed to anything. And if we're not to be swept off uh, in the ways of the world, we need to be praying for one another that those qualities will be seen in the people of God. We need to pray for one another, but particularly we need to pray for our children and our young people, that they will catch, hopefully modelled by us, the fact that loyalty, commitment and faithfulness are good qualities. And where appropriate, we can pray for our parents as well that they may 
hold on with the trials of life, particularly when age brings all sorts of trials, that they may hold on and remain loyal and faithful. There's a promise in Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. So Isaiah was actually assuring loyal believers that they would actually reap the benefit of these values of steadfastness. Loyalty, if you like, will be rewarded and you don't need a card. All you need is to keep faith. If they trust in God's all-sufficiency, it will yield peace that will guard them. As with a garrison is the sense. Outwardly, inwardly, and spiritually as well. It's a gracious gift for the future, perfect peace, but also it's something that can be known now as well. It's not just for them. It can be a present reality. Unfortunately, as I've mentioned, it's not the trend these days to be committed, to be loyal, and to be faithful. And there are many who are shopping around spiritually, materially, for attractive, alternative benefits. And I believe they will discover that many of those are cheap and counterfeit promises that leave people impoverished, unequipped, and unprotected too. Rather here, we're encouraged to have a steadfast mind in order to find God's peace which means the whole direction of our will is not going from one thing to another, but remains faithful to the one who made us, the one who calls us, the one in whose name we gather this evening, the rock eternal, it says in verse 4. So if tonight you've come to worship feeling persecuted or vulnerable, or troubled, or insecure for any reason. Remember the words of Jesus, which is our rock. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. The temptation is to look into the world for all sorts of things, but actually he wants our focus to be on him, and not just in our worship in church, but in everything that we do. I once read about a city trader who became a monk, and in keeping with Ash Wednesday and the symbolism of Ash Wednesday, he encouraged other traders to keep a jar of dust on their desks to remind them from whence they came and one day where they will go. And it was a sober reminder. He did it because of his faith. Isaiah 26, verse 5. He humbles those who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and he casts it down to the dust. We saw something of that, didn't we, in recent times with the global recession, with the loss of confidence in the world's financial institutions. They were untouchable, but they weren't. We saw those who earned huge bonuses suddenly find that they were jobless. And following the collapse of banks, 
that we thought were safe, suddenly the tables were turned. And our reading here mentions the lofty city. Actually, here was referring to either Babylon or Nineveh. We're not quite sure which. But represented the stronghold of the enemy. Well, I'm not suggesting that the markets are the enemy. But it's where we put our trust in that which can fall away or betray us. And that can be lots of things. And I think today, as I'm encouraging us to think about where our heart's desires are, where our focus is, what are we building upon? Could those things fall away from us? Here, in the passage, we learn that the feet of the oppressed poor, the Jewish captives are being referred to here, are the ones that will trample down the enemy. And that was really turning the tables on their head. These powerful nations, and yet it was the trampled down poor that would actually be the ones who end up on top, not the great armies. Malachi 4, verse 3, The Lord Almighty says, Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things. That's why the story of the trader came to mind. Often in the Old Testament, it's God's persecuted, loathed, but humble people that suffer hardship. And it is a reality. I was talking to Martin uh, earlier, just before the service. And when we say... Uh, not my will but yours be done as Jesus, we need to remember that Jesus actually was nailed upon a cross. He died upon a cross, but he rose again. Ultimately, God's peace and salvation won through. And sometimes we think, because things are not going well for us, that all is lost. But the message time and time again in the Bible is to keep faith and he will make our way smooth ultimately. They will be protected and eventually experience transformation if they keep faith, says Isaiah here in this passage. God will crush to the ground selfish worldly power and self-importance when he proves himself humbling the proud and exalting the poor. The tables turned. Going back to the monk, remember that it's dangerous to rely on anything else other than God's providence. And it's a hard lesson. It's hard for me, and it's hard for you. If your power or your status or your worth is dependent on material things, perhaps we should consider what would remain if they were taken away. During Lent, it's worth remembering that the poorest in the world might actually be those who only think in terms of worldly profit. And as we begin to search our hearts about elections or uh, referendums for Europe in, out, and um, not making any comment about that. But we need to think not just in terms of worldly profit on both sides 
of the argument. Waiting isn't popular. Uh, it's, we live in an instant society. We often say it from the pulpit. People want everything now. Again, it's the sign of the times. Uh, it's not the best example for good Methodists, but I'm going to tell it anyway. But in the 1990s, the Guinness brand used a catchy slogan to persuade people to wait 119.5 seconds for their draft pints to be correctly poured. And the message was, good things come to those who wait. Now, you can tell I'm not always a good Methodist, but uh, uh, in our culture of uh, binge drinking and uh, alcohol uh, on demand, uh, maybe we do need to think that some things are worth waiting for, which poses the question, okay, in that ad slogan, it was saying one thing, but what are you waiting for in your life? What is the thing that you long for? Waiting is clearly in an important element of faith. Time and time again in the Bible, you think about things like the wilderness wanderings, the resurrection not happening until the third day. And I could go on and on with illustrations where God's people have had to wait before God's promises are seen. Waiting is also necessary in our reading as well. Before Judah's downtrodden people could sing Isaiah's song, they needed to wait before they could sing. I'm an advocate for marking uh, Holy Saturday and for actually seeing it as part of our calendar. It's a time of waiting before the celebrations and it's necessary. They longed with expectancy for nothing but truth and justice of God's kingdom in accordance with his gracious promises. Their desire was to see God's purposes realized with power. What are you waiting for in your life? Isaiah 26 verse 8. Yes, Lord, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. What's the desire of your heart? We're going to have a moment later to think about, to be honest with what our desires really are. How much do we really trust God? We say we trust God, but when things get difficult, how much do we really trust him? Are we prepared like Jesus to go through the pain barrier in order to get to his promises? Or when the difficulties come, do we complain and grumble and wonder where is our God? He never promised everything would be easy, but he did promise that he would smooth the road for us as we travel, that he would help us to get to where we need to go. But it won't be easy. The road is often a difficult one. And is that our heart's desire God's name and renown? Or is it our own name and renown? Don't be disappointed when things go wrong or when he humbles you. And if things don't go your way and you feel embarrassed or that somehow... 
uh, you need to admit you can't save face. Maybe God needs to do that with us time and again to enable us to lean on his breast and to keep asking him, to keep seeking him, to keep knocking so that he can actually answer us according to his promises. The tense in that passage is not to ask, seek and knock, but to ask and go on asking, seek and go on seeking, knock and go on knocking. Don't give up. But he will give us. If a good father can give good things to his children, how much more will our heavenly father give good gifts to his children? One third of the world's population at some stage will suffer from insomnia. That's not the true here. Most of you have gone to sleep. But uh, (laughs) at some time in our lives, we will suffer from insomnia. And that includes just having trouble going to sleep or having interrupted sleep, or waking too early as well. And it can be uh, a symptom of many, many things. Uh, Bad habits, stress, worry, there's all sorts of things that can contribute to it. And sleep deprivation can result in such things as being irritable, depressed, increased anxiety, because sleep is meant to rest and repair us, and if we don't get that rest and repair, then obviously it has an effect. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I do believe as part of our healing ministry, sleep is important. And Isaiah teaches us that actually prayer can be quite important when it comes to sleep. Now, it's not the answer to everything, and I'm not saying just pray and you'll go to sleep. That's not the case at all. But Isaiah teaches us to overcome our difficulties and to secure healing peace. We need to take corporate and individual prayer seriously. I've already mentioned about praying for one another. But when we share our concerns together, it can lift a burden from us. But also, the things that we pray about last thing at night and first thing in the morning also tell us something about ourselves. Isaiah 26, verse 9. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. I'm not sure that's entirely true for me. (laughs) That always the last thing at night, the last thing I'm thinking about is yearning for God or the first thing in the morning. And yet, I think there's something very profound here. Because I think what the prophet was saying is if our focus is so caught up in God, that would be the most natural thing in the world to do, to bring everything to God, for long for him to be known in our troubles and our joys, and in the morning to give the day to God, the day ahead. I don't think it will inoculate us against not sleeping, but I do think it might help to hand things over to God and to keep faith when we struggle with faith to ask him to help us. It means that our actions uh, have consequences. Uh, If we uh, stress and don't behave well, we won't sleep. Well, our actions have consequences in other senses as well, and that's picked up here in the passage. If we act in ways that are not honoring to God, that has consequences. 
So let's pray that we may keep faithful in word and deed as well. Psalm 63. Oh, you, God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. I re- on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I will sing in the shadow of your wings. As we go through the passage, we see that uh, the focus becomes on Isaiah 26.10. Through grace, though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in the land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and regard not the majesty of the Lord. I wonder when you pray at night, do you pray for those who have fallen away from God's purposes? I wonder whether you think of your families and, and friends, those perhaps who are not close to the Lord. Do we make it a matter of prayer for them that they actually might rediscover the God who can give them life? Or do we give up? Do we pray for our children, longing that they may actually find the perfect peace that Christ alone can give? Or do we think, well, I love them, I just must let them go their way? Or do we keep going back to persistent, faithful, honest prayer and hand them over to God? It will help us sleep at night, I think, if we hand our loved ones to God as well. Verses 10 and 11 indicate that Isaiah was writing not just for Uh, the future, but he was writing for the present day too. Despite God's undeserved love, his grace for his people, some were spiritually blind and unresponsive to the Lord's will and rule. The gift of free will means that some people will wander and will reap the consequences of wandering in a number of ways. But remember that it's God's desire always to draw people back to himself. He longs for people to turn back to him, just as if you've been hearing this sermon tonight and feel, I've not been committed, I've not been faithful, and I've not been loyal. He just longs for you to turn back to him and to lead you in the way where he can welcome you in to his purposes because the door is open wide. Isaiah 26, verse 13, we're nearly there. O Lord our God, Other lords beside you have ruled over us, but your name alone do we honour. My last plea is that we think about how we use the name of the Lord. I think the name of the Lord has been cheapened in so many ways by the way that we use uh, the Lord's name on our lips and the way that other people do as well. I think if we are faithful and loyal and committed, his name should become precious to us, spoken with love in our prayers, and we will feel offence when people use the name in a way that shouldn't be used. But most important, we should pay attention to the way in which we use his word, his name. Will you publicly give glory to God that is due to his name this Lent and this Easter. And I pray that we will all together learn how to honour the Lord by humbling 
our lives, allowing ourselves to be humbled and make sure that his name is the name that's above all names and not our own, and to make him and his purpose the desire of our hearts. And we are assured that if we do that, it's worth waiting for, because Jesus told us and made it very clear that our Father in heaven gives good gifts to those who ask him. Amen.